Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, the charging doctor, writes Floyd. George Floyd, the man who was assassinated, brutally murdered in Minneapolis. He writes that the autopsy revealed no physical findings that support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxia or strangulation. Mr. Floyd had underlying health conditions, including coronary artery disease and hypertensive heart disease. The combined effects of Mr. Floyd being restrained by the cops, the police, his underlying health conditions, and any potential intoxicants in his system likely contributed to his death. I'll be very short. The BB48, this is the African Liberation Media here with brothers Amos and Macaru. So much to do, so much to talk about. So little time. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it. America in chaos. Bibi Fahodier, Bado Mapampano, African Liberation Media family. Yeah, America, from British colonial North America in 1619 to 2020 has been in perpetual chaos for African people. It's been a place, a place of chaos, a place of death and destruction, a place where the African seems to always be killed for no reason. And we've just seen just, an, just another example of that in, in what I call this the, the third cycle of white supremacy in the United States, the first being chattel slavery, the second being American apartheid and the current situation not yet agreed agreed upon but called by various names including the new Jim Crow by Professor Michelle Alexander but it's clear that the system of white supremacy as Brother Neely Full and Dr. Francis Cress Wilson taught us has the capacity to continue continuously re-engineer, to mutate, to reconfigure, and re-emerge in different forms. And that that's what we're seeing today with the, the latest version of white supremacist race soldiers, often in blue, more so now than than the hoods of the past. And in, in fact, it appears that they're even in our midst as people try to wage protests. Yeah, there's a lot that all of us want to say about this. So I'll just start with, with the fact that the massive protests forced an incompetent 
district attorney to throw some charges out there in an attempt to quell the protests. And after, the, after a video was shown with an officer on the neck of uh, George Floyd for nearly, nearly nine minutes, other videos have also shown that, that two other officers had him pinned down. Uh, the man had already been handcuffed. This apparently started with someone passing a counterfeit bill. We have no way of knowing whether Mr. Floyd actually passed a bill or whether he even knew the bill was counterfeit if he was the one who did it. He certainly wasn't trying to escape. He was sitting in his car right across the street from the market where uh, this, uh, this exchange had occurred, waiting for some friends to come out. The people called the police. Now, I don't know, I don't know why they didn't check the bill when it was first given to them, because that's what, uh, that's what most people do. But, you know, they could have checked the bill when it was first given to them and said, oh, no, this bill is no good. But he was sitting in his car in his vehicle and two police officers pulled, uh, went in the store and then walked across the street where he was. Uh, they apparently, uh, one went to one side of the car and cleared his two passengers out and the other went to the side of the car where he was, apparently telling him to get out the car. Now, the police body cams have not been released. So, you know, we don't know, you know, exactly, you know, what the exchange was. But the other officer came around and, you know, after, you know, what could be legitimate questions, why are you doing this or whatever, they handcuffed him. They say that he began resisting arrest by deliberately falling down. Now, look, it appeared to me that that they set the man down on the ground. I, I, I don't know why. But they said he deliberately fell down. But anyway, he got up. They walked him across the street. And I don't know why they didn't immediately put him in the car right then. He was handcuffed and was offering no resistance. Now, we've seen uh, several other videos emerge since then. And the most recent apparently shows uh, some type of uh, struggle with him uh, in inside the police car, like I said, none of this will be clear until we see the the uh, body cams, you know, from the officers. Assume that they didn't turn them off, or if they even had them on. We don't. We we see the struggle, but we have not seen the the video of them how he got out of the car and was placed on the ground. We see the video taken by a very courageous 17-year-old sister by the name of uh, Sister Frazier. And she was uh, filming the, the, the event as it took place. And she and other people were asking the officers to get off this man. You're killing him. They, uh, they were literally telling him, telling the officers that they were killing him. There was an EMT present. She asked 16 times, according to uh, Ben Crump, if she could take his pulse. The man literally narrated his own death, begging for his mother, telling the officers he couldn't breathe. Officers were making comments like, you're not so bad now. Derek uh, Falvin, the officer with his, uh, his full weight and his, and his uh, knee 
right on uh, uh, Brother Floyd's uh, neck, had a smirk on his face as if he was enjoying every minute of this killing. The man reached a point where his bladder apparently just gave away and he urinated on himself. I mean, this was a cold-blooded murder. So the fact that the officers were not immediately charged ignited protests around the country. I think now they've been protesting like 94 cities in the United States. I'll have to go back and check how many there were during uh, the Ferguson Rebellion, during the killing of Michael Michael Brown Jr. I don't know if there were that many, but you know th this is where we are. So uh, as the as the, as the protests uh, first ignited in uh, in uh, Minneapolis and then St. Paul, and people rebelled, and I'll talk about a little bit about some of the dynamics of that in just a minute. But this incompetent district attorney, uh, Amy Klobuchar, cloned by the name of Mike Freeman, he said that he made a statement that th he was reviewing the evidence, but some of the things that he had seen suggested that there might not be grounds for an arrest for criminal charges. And this was like just pouring gasoline onto a burning fire. The city, the city of Minneapolis in particular really ignited at that point. I've never seen police retreat to the extent that they did, but maybe that's what they wanted in order to shift the narrative. And subsequently the next day, this guy announced charges of third degree murder and manslaughter. I don't know if it's first, second or third degree manslaughter, but I do know that Muhammad Noor was charged with a third degree murder and second degree manslaughter for killing a, a, a white woman. Uh, certainly not under the circumstances that uh, under which Brother Floyd was killed. And uh, he was sentenced to 12 and a half years for his charges. I mean, for, uh, you know, for the charges that were leveled against him. So. You know that's that's where we are in uh, in terms of the legal perspective. With one additional item, incredibly, this district attorney releases a he included the preliminary autopsy, not the complete autopsy, but the preliminary state autopsy in his uh, finding or his cause for the arrest uh, and the charges against Derek uh, Falvin. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correct or not, but in, in the preliminary autopsy, as Gullah Jack said, the reasons for the death were listed as uh, comorbidities, hypertension, coronary artery disease, in addition to a restraint by the police, plus the possibility of intoxicants. Now, why, why uh, un unless you're trying to set the table for a Rodney King type of exoneration, 
why would you why would you make a statement like that without having all of the information and even if it even if it did i'm i'm sure that this will will, will be a factor but but what killed the man would the man be walking around with those conditions today if not for the pressure that was applied to his neck which based on the analysis from every um, law enforcement, FBI agent, and everybody that I've seen have said that there's no doubt that, the, that, that his breathing was compromised. His ability to breathe was compromised based on the position he was in. The Justice Department has a manual for police officers that says that, that people shouldn't, when, when people are, are, are being uh, restrained while they're laying on their stomachs and there's pressure on their backs that decreases their ability to breathe and they encourage officers to immediately turn people over and you know and get them in a in a, in a position where where, where 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 their breathing won't be constrained so minnesota has a black attorney general by the name of Keith Ellison, who was a former member of, of the United States Congress. I don't know why he has not replaced this district attorney with a special prosecutor, because this guy seems to be just like the um, McCulloch, the prosecutor down in uh, St. Louis County, who virtually put forth no effort to get the grand jury to uh, release charges against Darren Wilson for the killing of Michael Brown Jr. It seems to be this guy setting this thing up, but you know we'll have to we'll have to see what happens. So you know that's uh, that's my opening statement. Yeah, it it a lot of people have weighed in on this topic, uh, the situation. The interesting thing about this is that. That move that the officer used on George Floyd for some ridiculous reason. The state of Minnesota allows officers to put their knees on people's neck. Which is ridiculous. Um, and I don't know if the DOJ or excuse me, the DA is going to try to use that to get get this officer uh, exonerated. But this situation is something that's been brewing for a long time. And in a lot of these police officer shootings or police officer killings of black people, there's always this gray area. We know it's not a gray area for us. But for all of the whites who like to create some type of reasonable doubt as to what happened the day that a black man or black woman was killed. There's this gray area of I feared for my life. I saw him reaching for a gun. I saw him reaching in his waistband. So with this being on camera, on film, and this brother George Floyd begging for his life pretty much for at least five minutes, begging that he couldn't breathe, begging that he felt like they were about to kill him. He called out for his mother and 
to my knowledge, his mother is already deceased. So you can understand that something is going on with this man as the oxygen is being cut out from his lungs and his brain that he's starting to go into trauma uh, because these people are murdering him. These uh, four officers, including the officer that was standing up guarding the other three officers who had their knees or was pinning them down and, and, and had their knees on his back, his neck, and his lower legs. So with this video being so clear, even the European whites have no excuses. And this is why it has been so easy for people who would never speak out against any type of police brutality to make public statements uh, against this. It's a safe zone there for them to be able to do so. People like today, Michael Jordan released a statement saying that he was upset and he was he's had enough of the racism. <laughs> so if Michael Jordan so, comes out and makes a statement who never talks about uh, any type of political or any type of uh, issues that could be considered controversial, we can clearly see why somebody like Donald Trump would come out and say, you know, there will be justice. Uh, justice will be served. I won't let the, the memory of George Floyd be forgotten. Mm. Now, however, I will say that although he made the statement about the looting and the shooting, the statement that he made about George Floyd is probably the the most direct statement that any president has made about a black man being killed by police in the history that I know of. Even during President Obama's time, he never, he always stayed clear of making statements that were related to black people being killed. Not even just by police, but in general, I don't know if he was afraid of what the whites would do to him, but Donald Trump seems to, you know, speak his mind no matter what the situation is. And then we know some of it is politics with the, with the election coming up. You know, you want to say the right things to stay on the right side of the black voters. But hey, you know, that's what if you're into politics, really, that's what it's all about. You use your vote to get what you want. So if you can get what you want out of this president, then you have to do that. But it's saying all of that. Now that this is going on, these officers have been charged. They've been fired. Uh, these protests are still going on. Many of these protests that we're seeing, most of them have white people in the forefront of these protests. We know that you have liberal groups like Antifa, where you have these white people who will come out and they will be the catalyst for a lot of the bombings, the fires, the destruction, and a lot of the things you see happening where you see police buildings burning, you see the CNN building being vandalized all across the country. But many of this is being started by white people and many of the white people who are starting this are starting this and then leaving and the black people are left there at the scene and they're following behind many of these white protesters who are committing a lot of these acts. Now, 
I'm not going to shed a tear for buildings burning down. I can't be like a lot of these people who I call tools out here that they use when they want to get their message across. I'm not going to sit back and tell people that we need to stop burning down our communities because most of these buildings in our communities are not ours anyway. So I'm not going to make a statement on that. What I will say is that what you don't want to do is you don't want to be used for an agenda that is bigger than you realize right now. And I think it will begin to unfold or unravel, I should say, as time goes on. But we have to be very weary of following behind whites when it comes to these type of situations because in many cases even though they look like they're out here protesting for George Floyd we have to understand that the spark of racial controversy usually only benefits one group and we know that that is the small hats throughout history they have been the catalysts who have sparked racial controversy and then they'll stand back and allow blacks and whites to fight and you know kill each other ultimately for them to advance the agenda that they have at the time they'll sit back and allow this to happen and this is a lot of times why you see the mainstream media will push these topics when it's prevalent for them for example for the last three years we haven't seen as many police killings pushed in the mainstream media as we've seen over the last month or so. And the reason for that is it wasn't their agenda at the time. Their agenda at the time was trying to derail Donald Trump. Everything was focused on Donald Trump, Russia, etc. Then for the last three months, you have this coronavirus. You have this coronavirus. Everybody's focusing on coronavirus. All of a sudden, nobody's talking about coronavirus as much now with everything that's going on right now. You have to ask yourself, why is that? These are the things we have to be thinking about. Why is it that now nobody's focusing on the World Health Organization, the vaccinations, or anything else because they're focused on the George Floyd situation, which we should be focused on it. But what we have to understand is that there have been situations throughout the last three years where people like George Floyd have been killed and the media has refused to focus on that because their mission at the time was trying to get Donald Trump impeached. That fell through. There's a new election coming up. So what is their mission now? Their mission now is to try to create enough racial controversy and point that racial controversy or spearhead it towards Donald Trump to give a leg up to Joe Biden because they know that without that, he really doesn't stand a chance of winning against Donald Trump. This is why you see Joe Biden coming out challenging the way that Donald Trump is handling this situation. This is why you see 
Democrats like Kamala Harris, who's been known for locking up black people, now speaking out as if she's an activist against police brutality. This is why you see other Democrats who have a record of allowing black people to be locked up. Speaking on the George Floyd situation as if they have been supporters of black activists who have been fighting against police brutality for the last 10 years. So we have to be very weary of the direction that this could go into. Not saying that we can't continue to be mad, uh, continue to protest, but while that is going on, we have to also keep our eyes open and be aware of the bigger agenda that these whites are potentially using black people for. Gullah Jack here. Uh, let us not forget the young sister, Brianna Taylor, say her name, Brianna Taylor, Brianna Taylor, as well as Mr. Ahmad Aubrey. Uh, to your point, brother, there's always uh, multiple agendas. Of course, we're able to better discern what the agenda is from a hindsight perspective. Of course, we can speculate here on the African liberation media. You know, one of the small hats, uh, Jewish Zionist uh, CEO of Goldman Sachs, as it relates to Biden and Trump, he said he does not have a lesser evil. He said he's going to get what he wants from Trump. He's going to get what he wants from Biden. <laughs> of course, he's he's retired now. But uh, to your point, brother, poignant point, uh, you know, Section 1021 of the uh, National Authorization Act, you know, Uncle Sam government has overcome like a, a overturned 150 years of uh, a decree called Posse Comitatus where they can now deploy the military. We've seen this happen in the black community before, and I'm basically quoting uh, Stokely Carmichael, Dr. Kwame Toure, uh, in the wake of blacks protesting and shooting at the police, shooting at the pigs, their uh, subsequent plan was to create so much disturbance via the um, use of crack cocaine, Operation Chaos. I think Dr. Ture uh, referred to that uh, effort uh, as Operation Chaos. But they created so much disturbance that invariably black people were forced to uh, call back the police into the community. You know, this is one of the uh, byproducts of the disturbances you see uh, oftentimes initiated by right wing organizations, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan for that matter. People walking down Betty's Ford Road with clips around their waist, bearded, looking like Duck Dynasty on the corner of uh, LaSalle and Betty's Ford Road. But uh, in, in, in our uh, effort to uh, ascertain what, what's happening, the brother of 
George Lloyd said Herr Fuhr, Con Don, the orange Caligula, wouldn't even let him talk. Talked over him in a private conversation, you know, just kind of uh, callous, detached, insensitive, similar to what I heard um, a, a statement made about the great benefactor, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln said on one occasion, I have to admit, I hate to see the creatures hunted down. He mm. told Douglas, he said, the difference between me and my people are greater than any difference that exists between any two groups. Why that is so, Mr. Douglas, I cannot rightfully ascertain, but I assure you of this, whereas you and your people have suffered mightily living amongst us, me and my people have suffered as a result of your mere presence. Mm. This is Lincoln over the propriety of separation either to uh, the Caribbean basin or back to uh, Africa. But like you said, brother, everything is for political compensation. And, uh, you know, Biden obviously <laughs> made a ridiculous statement when he was talking to uh, the young brother, uh, Charlemagne the God. Uh, in the response, the rationale given by Negro misleaders to try to uh, exonerate the statement that Biden made, be it Roland Martin or whoever, uh, the question was asked, why do you apologize? Trump doesn't apologize. Well, see, mm. Trump is not stupid enough to offend his base or his meal ticket. If you, Joe Biden, and, you, and your success is contingent upon African-American support, why would you offend your meal ticket, your base? You know, <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, Brother Macaroon. You know, extra time to segue and bring you back in. Uh, break it down. Let me, say, let me say one thing, too, before you jump back in, Michael. I, I forgot that I saw some people, a lot of people who are pro police make the statement that it's not about race. This is just one bad police officer. And if it was a white man down there, he would have had his his knee on a white man's neck too. People always say this, but show three police officers. Show me the video. If what you say is true, show me the video of a white man on, on the back of another white man's neck and he dies. Brother, to your point, if I may. Okay. Dylan Roof on the Andrew Jackson Highway, mass murderer, knee not on the neck, Taking the Burger King. Exactly. Uh, the killer down at Stoneman Douglas in Florida, knee not on the neck, uh, set upright while in handcuffs. You know, I, you know, I, I, brother, you cannot approach a fool with logic. America has uh, ingrained in its DNA a built in deniability. They always find a black person to say it's not about race. You know, the black conservatives, they would have called people like us, the other people race hustlers and all these terms that they use. But these are Negroes that are really in love with America. They're stuck in the birdcage of America. And they have, no, they have no respect for their history. Many of them don't even reject their history, say that they're not African, which if they did a DLA test, their DLA will probably point right back to Africa. And they try to make these statements that 
always seem to try to say nothing that happens is related to race. Nothing. It's not about black or white. And a lot of these Negroes always believe in Jesus, too. So they try to put God out here. Like, we, I mean, come on. We on the show. We know, we know that Jesus isn't real. But these Negroes believe in Jesus. And they push this stuff on our people. This this uh, conservative race traitorism behavior on our people and try to make it seem like everything that happens to black people can be avoided if we do A, B or C or if we did A, B or C or D. Wow. I agree with you, brother, 100 percent. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about Jamil Abdul El Amin. He, he said, you know, I must repeat it, you know, racism systematically verifies itself when the slave imitates his master. Some of these Negroes are more patriotic than Donald Trump himself. And they would rather watch other countries around the world burn and be exploited by America just so they can maintain this rich elite American lifestyle and they'll go to those other countries and tell those other countries too well you know this wouldn't be happening to you if you did A, B and C it's not America and Europe and France and, and uh, all these other countries coming in and exploiting you it's, 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 it's what you're doing to yourself I agree brother oh did they say well oh, you know yeah, if you, did, if you didn't have a corrupt leader you know then then uh, then you would be able to your country would be able to prosper but then when the real leader steps in then, you know, the American government, the CIA would come in and kill that person. But no, that's not the white man doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. The third cycle of white supremacy, as it has been described, all, you know, always a comprador, Negro misleader, sitting bull, to quote Chris Hedges, was killed by an indigenous man, a so-called Indian dressed in a deputy's uniform. Well, we're we're very familiar with traitors. So, I mean, no no one no one group has a monopoly on traitors. I mean, some some there were some Jews that fought with uh, the Third Reich, you know, during World War II. So, you know, Amakar Cabral was killed by his own people. Uh, granted, they were from Cape Verde, you know, not from Guinea Bissau, but Malcolm X. Uh, you know, we saw the traitor William O'Neill. So, I mean, this is nothing unusual. But let me get, uh, let me just hit on a couple of things that they caught my attention right from the very beginning of the protests in uh, in Minneapolis, in 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 particular. And uh, as as I almost mentioned, you know, there were there were quite a there was a diverse crowd, but the crowd seemed to be predominantly white in, in um, you know, based on, you know, what I could see. And I think this is one of the things that happens when, when you have a, a spontaneous outburst, uh, you know, rather than, rather than an organized rebellion. I, I, I'm trying to decide exactly which which way I'm going with this, but there were several things that happened around the country. But the the the, the one thing 
that that caught my attention in addition to into the the way the, the police simply abandoned certain stores and just left them to whoever uh the targeting of you know the target the 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 auto zone the other the other stores eventually the police station i mean You know, if this was a black-led rebellion and all of, and all and, and and all of that happened without you know righteous, uh, you know moral outrage, then that would be one thing. But what 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 it appeared to me, particularly when seven people that were protesting in Louisville, they were tying the killing of Breonna Taylor into the killing of George uh, Floyd by Chauvin. I said Chauvin, Chauvin, George, uh, Derek Chauvin. Um, it just, there are so many disparate elements, diverse elements in rebellions these days that you really don't know who is who. And this really became crystal clear right here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina on a Friday night. An unknown group of white people organized the George Floyd protest on Betis Ford Road. For those who are outside of Charlotte, Betis Ford Road is the major thoroughfare running through the black community of Charlotte, the black community at one time primarily concentrated on the on the west side now you know more spread out but still Betis Ford Road when you say Betis Ford Road basically you know everybody knows you're talking about the black community in Charlotte and so they they started this there's a precinct uh station on Betis Ford Road they started the march at the precinct station this was during the day I think Gullah Jack you were on Betis Ford Road during this particular time and saw and saw the saw the march uh, taking place. They walked they walked up to the corner of Betis Ford and LaSalle Street, another uh, major thoroughfare in the black community that runs into the West Charlotte High School community. And then they turn around and walk back down the street. Now, according many of the the activists, like Cass Otley and some of the others. That, that are involved in a lot of these things, they were suspicious right off the bat because they said, who are these people? Who's organizing this? So they went out to see exactly, you know, who, what is going on here? And as, uh, you know, the pictures emerge, you know, we see the white guy with uh, several clips, open carry, with a North Carolina flag draped around him. And according to several activists, these uh, unknown people began to incite the crowd to start throwing uh, items and rocks at the police station. The police come out firing, uh, you know, their uh, rubber bullets and tear gas and uh, stun grenades. And some black activists, including uh, the city council person, uh, Braxton Winston, you know, wind up getting arrested. Meanwhile, the people who organized the thing disappear. Mm-hmm. Now, Charlotte, I mean, I, I got to take some of the activists in Charlotte to task. I, I, I understand 
people want to go out there and say, you know, look, we need to check this out and see what it is. If you can't warn people to get to get away from it, in in 2016, some uh, Russian agents. Uh, this is according to uh, the um, what's the guy name that did the report? Can't remember his name now. But uh, on the, the report on the election, the the Russians had set up this Facebook page that that was called Black Matters USA. It had 400 thousand followers they created some fake black identities and they they made people believe that this was really part of the black lives movement and after trump was elected they contacted a guy here in charlotte and told him that they were organizing uh anti-trump protests all around the country and this guy not even knowing who he's talking about this you know, I call I call this the pitfalls of non-personal activism when you don't you don't even know who you are talking to. I mean, this 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 is pathetic. And so they so these uh, these fake characters, Russian bots or some kind of bots set up this uh, rally that activists in Charlotte attended in November of 2016 after Trump was elected. And so here 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 we go again. Here we go again. And so you know, you know what I've said is is, is that you know within with within these uh rallies and these protests today you have so many forces. You you, you have the legitimate activists including radicals who are protesting they are actually demanding justice. They are morally outraged and they're protesting for justice. Obviously, you have the police who are always going to turn out to protect property. I mean, that was their, the original reason why they were created, to make sure that the slave owners, the property of the slave owners uh, stayed in place. And so you have uh, undercover agents and agent provocateurs now we've always had them, but they were usually black people. You have a bunch of new elements involved, uh, you know, including you could have, you do have some some male, some uh, no doubt that there's many, uh, you know, well-meaning white people, but you also have uh, these uh, anarchists, Antifa, you know, they are called, and Chris Hedges offers the best analysis of them in my opinion, they are just out to just absolutely create as much uh, destruction as they possibly can because supposedly they want to bring down the entire government and they will use anybody to do that, but they seem to be incapable of organizing anything themselves. So they have to always try to take advantage of a situation that someone else is involved in. The new element walking among the protesters are actually undercover neo-Nazis posing as protesters. Undercover neo-Nazis posing as protesters. Now, the major difference between then and our rebellions in the 1960s and 70s, when we were, in fact, in the process of rebelling, which I've been in, no white person and white, the white revolutionaries like David Gilbert and Marilyn Buck understood this. 
they would not show their faces. No white person would dare show their face in the midst of our rebellion of a black rebellion during the black liberation movement because any white person would be targeted as an enemy. And so Marilyn Buck and David Gilbert and those guys, they understood this. Marilyn Buck is the sis, is the white woman who allegedly helped break Asada Shakur out of jail. David Gilbert was working with Matula Shakur, and he's still in prison for the Brinks robbery. They were they were they were committing these robberies to fund the Black Liberation Army and other organizations. So it would have, it would have been unheard of. On you and you, white people gonna come. We in the midst of a rebellion during the Black Liberation Movement, and some white people gonna show up on Bakersfield Road. Man, they would be run all the way back to Miles Park or wherever they came from. I'm I'm serious. It it's you know I talked to uh, had an exchange with our brother Philippine about this. It okay. would be it, it it would be unheard of. It it just couldn't happen. But now when you have all of these different elements in there. And the reason why we posted so many pictures of them, like the, the the white man with the gas mask on, dressed in all black, that was walking by in, in broad daylight, breaking out the windows of the auto zone in Minneapolis, the white people that went inside the police precinct and set it on fire. But the, but the media, the mainstream media shows a brother running out of a liquor store with a fifth of Jack Daniels or you know, run out of store with a, you know, a, a couple of forties or somebody carrying a flat screen, you know, TV. I uh, saw one guy coming out of Target with a, with a car seat for his child. I guess he needed a car seat. But this, this is the images you see. Just, just like during the situation in uh, in New Orleans with Katrina, when white people did it, you know, were 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 breaking into these stores because a lot of times. You know, sometimes you, you you have no food or anything. People people are going to take advantage of situations. But it, it comes across as, you know, black people are rioting and looting in this situation. And even the governor of Minnesota, and he may have been trying to deflect attention, but the governor of Minnesota said that he believed that most of the people who were doing the damage were white nationalists. This is what the governor of of, of Minnesota said so, you know what? Uh, and you know, and, and and it could it could be that you know he's like, you know, searching for scapegoats, but they could very well also be undercover officers. You know, one guy was a you know they, they said it was a St. Paul police officer, and so, and so you know I wrote this. Uh, the power structure is always on an incessant search for scapegoats to deflect attention from the root cause of the problem institutionalized white supremacy when rebellions occur they go into damage control in order to return uh the conditions to what dr king called the absence of tension versus the presence of justice so uh that being said there was an activist there was a brother in minnesota who made some valid points mike griffin a 35 34 year old um organizer from community change action from southeast minneapolis and this is the location where where most of the uh, protests have been taking place said that as the weekend approached he could detect a creeping presence of people less interested 
in protesting Floyd's death than they were in seeking to foment unrest. These people have agendas. The neo-Nazis' agenda is to incite a race war. That's their, that's, that's their agenda. The, 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 the anarchists, you know, have their agenda. And so uh, some legitimate protests are being hijacked by various opportunists and fifth columnists with nefarious objectives, including government agent provocateurs, anarchists, and right-wing extremists masquerading as protesters. Someone shot seven protesters in Louisville. One person was killed in Detroit. I'm not sure that he, this was, he was actually related. They haven't determined if, if he was in the vicinity of the protest, uh, but there was one also killed in downtown Indianapolis. I know that the person killed in Detroit was a 21-year-old black man. I, I don't know who was killed in Indianapolis. Uh, the seven protesters in, in, in Louisville haven't, seen, haven't had a chance to check pictures of them. Now, here's the bind that we're in. Because when something like the killing of, uh, of George Floyd takes place, and to me, I, I'll be honest with you, I just, just because my heart goes out to children, if there, was any if there was ever a time to tear something up, in my opinion, it was when Tamir Rice was killed. I'm still boiling mm. about the killing of, of Tamir Rice. <laughs> mm. I mean, it's, you know, I, that, that, that's when you should, I mean, okay, let, let me... Let me let me try to stay focused. Although the language of the unheard is clearly being exploited, that's what Dr. King called riots, the language of the unheard, it must still be spoken, but it has to be organized into sustained rebellion to bring about the presence of justice. See, we have seen this over and over from the mid from the 60s. You know, beginning, uh, I'd say, you know, probably uh, with uh, Rochester, you know, Mena, Mena, uh, Rochester, New York, 1964, the Harlem, Harlem Rebellion, of course, the Watts uh, Rebellion. All of these were related to police brutality in Watts in the preceding uh, three years leading up to the rebellion. The police had killed, I think, over 60 black people, 27 of whom were shot in the back and only one police officer had been charged. Uh, then, of course, uh, Detroit and Newark, among other cities in 1967. And then, of course, the massive explosions when Dr. King was killed. And, you know, we had we had some limited action here. We, we had enough action in Charlotte to force the force the mayor to uh, to to impose a curfew. Uh, that necessarily didn't stop some of the things that we were doing. But but so. You know, we, so we've had these these things over and over, but they have not resulted in sustained rebellion. Sustained rebellion, which requires, as Kwame Ture said, organization. Come on. You know, and so and so what we see now, we see a lot of people now mobilized, but can they become organized? And 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 our and our situation is that no people without power. Can, can can ever experience any justice on this planet. You have to have power to experience justice. And you know, and 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 that's where we are. Um one other incident took place. This may have been revolutionary or or we don't know who it was, but someone pulled someone pulled up and uh did a drive-by shooting on the federal building in Oakland. And two uh, 
federally contracted security guards were shot. One of them was, was killed. And uh, they're calling this an act of uh, domestic terrorism. So, uh, so what has happened, in my opinion, is that you have a lot of people exploiting this situation. And, and, and the, the demands for justice, you know, which requires organizing for power, gets lost in the shuffle because the media is obviously focused on high drama, you know, such as the things that were taking place right in front of CNN, you know, on Friday. They, they, they're, focused, they're focused on drama because, you know, it gets everybody's attention. This, you know, this allows them to make a lot of money off advertisers by continuously, uh, you know, showing this information on television. But, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to try to sift through it because you got so many elements involved in it. And, you know, we really need to stop and think back. Um, a sister that I know is part of a group of people that's organizing a rally tomorrow uh, in starting in Freedom Park. They said they're going to march. I don't know where they're going to march from there. I guess maybe through Miles Park. I don't know. But, uh, you know, but we'll see. You know, the, the, the thing about this is what I would say to all these white people. There has never been a mass movement against white supremacy in the white community. And I don't think there ever will be. I think it's easy for white people to come out and march with us. But I think most of them, if not all of them, well, I'd say, I'd just say most, because all is an absolute, are afraid to go marching through Ballantyne. But that's where they, they need to be marching through where the power actually resides. If they want to do something, that's what they need to do. Don't come on Bates for a road. Go to Ballantyne. March through the white community. And I don't need to be marching with you through the white community. And so you the go, guy that was guy that was murdered in uh, Oakland. Against he, that. He was black. What'd you say? The the officer that was murdered in Oakland in that drive by shooting was black. That's yeah, correct. it was a black it was a black officer, so I mean, so it, it could have been white supremacists, right? I mean, we don't know. Um, but hey, yeah, I saw that 53 year old, uh, Patrick Underwood. So yeah, uh, go ahead brothers. I mean, I'm got a couple of more things I want to go with. So y'all, y'all, y'all want to jump in or you want me to keep going? Okay. Uh, just in the interim brother, and I'll be very brief because I know you got a lot on your plate. Uh, props once again to Colin Kaepernick who's offering to cover the legal bills for what he describes as the freedom fighters. He claims that he's already put together a team of top defense attorneys and you can contact this organization, uh, uppercase, no uppercase, your uppercase rights, uh, uppercase uh, camp dot com slash legal uh this is colin kaepernick uh, in his ongoing attempts to um use this platform to uh pursue social justice um brother almost to digress you were talking about michael jordan megan mccain has come out against white supremacy yeah what a joke 
And see, that's like I said, that's when you know that it's something that's going on here. It's safe. You know, that, it, that's how you know that it's safe. You know, it's yeah. I mean, it, Tom, Tom Brady. Uh, what's the little white girl Taylor Swift? Man, she blasted Donald Trump. Right. You see, it, 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 like I said, it's a, it, it's a uh, it's an agenda. See, the hats are very clever at what they do. They're very clever at what they do. And this agenda on the highest level is it's their uppercut. You know, the hats right now, they're like a boxer that really doesn't have, almost like uh, when Deontay Wilder fought Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury knew the whole fight that he only had that one, that one punch. So he boxed him and Wilder lost the fight, but the whole fight he tried to land that overhand right the whole night, thinking that that was going to get him the victory. And and right now the hats are down to that last punch against Donald Trump. They're down to that last punch. They know that they can't defeat him with Joe Biden unless they can somehow flip this thing on his head and which they are doing now. I mean, this is not a good look around the world where you have a police officer on camera murdering somebody. It's no way that Donald Trump can go to the president of Iran and talk about what he's doing in his country when you in your own country have to deal with police officers murdering people or executing people right there on the streets. There's no way he can go to North Korea and talk about what Kim Jong-un has to do with his citizens when, when he has to deal with the racism and the police brutality here. So it's a reason why you see other presidents weighing in on this situation or other former presidents of countries weighing in on this situation because this is a bad look for the United States of America. And... Right now, the hats are sitting back and they're strategically planning how they're going to capitalize off of this firestorm that's going on right now. Yeah, Eugene Robinson uh, wrote an interesting article in the Washington Post. um, America's a country to be pitied. You know, I mean, how is it that South Korea with uh, limited resources in terms of the GNP uh, is able to effectively combat this virus versus the U.S., which is the epicenter of death. Yeah, well, American exceptionalism has been uh, one. You know, you you can you can find something of value in almost everything, and certainly the myth of American exceptionalism. Uh, has 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 it's been you know under first you get the virus and then then you get these series, you know of of killings and you know uh, Ahmaud Arbery in in uh, February, Breonna Taylor in March, and now uh, George Floyd and I'm I'm, I'm sure there there was there was some in between, and and numerous of other assaults. Man, I mean I see these police officers beating up black women and. These race soldiers, man, they are they are out there, and part of what's driving them, uh, Charles Blow, uh, editorial writer for the New York Times, 
deliver some good information periodically. Uh, he wrote an opinion, said how white women use themselves as instruments of terror. Mm. And he was responding, I think, to the white woman that called the cops on the guy because he asked her to put her dog on a leash in Central Park. I think she was choking the dog. This woman was making $170,000 a year and lost her job over some stupidity. $170,000 a year gone. But uh, Blow says, specifically, I am enraged by white women weaponizing racial anxiety using their white femininity to activate systems of white terror against black men. This has long been a power white women realize they had and that they exerted. And of course, there is a long history. I mean, you know, it seems like white women kind of get a pass. But, um, you know, they have been, you know, it's, it's, it's been white supremacist complementarity <laughs> between mm-hmm. white men and white women. OK, I mean, let's just let's just call it what it is. You know, you got you got two devils in this situation, you know, and one and, and there's one that neither one is greater or lesser. It but what it reminds me cases, the white of, women are even more vicious, vicious killers. Yeah, even more vicious killers. But what it reminded me of was um, this a white supremacist named Rebecca Felton. Uh, for those who don't know, Felton was. Uh, the first uh, female U.S. senator. I, I think she may have only served for a day or two. But she was the last slave-owning member of the U.S. Congress and an outspoken advocate of lynching. And uh, she made the statement in 1897 that white women were being assaulted. Now, mind you, Reconstruction has been overthrown in 1877, you know, by the compromise between the Democrats and the Republicans. And black communities are under assault. Even before then, they were under the uh, compromise, but like, you know, the Colfax massacre took place in 1873. But black communities are, 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 you know, are being thoroughly uh, uh, trashed, destroyed. Black people are being attacked as uh, the second cycle of white supremacy was kicking into gear. But she made this statement about Lynch a thousand a week and a brother that had a uh, uh, newspaper in Wilmington responded to that and said, you know, a lot of these white women are actually seeking out black men. And and, and that led to led to the Wilmington uh, massacre or the coup d'etat that overthrew the government down there. And so what I said was, you know, they call them Karens. I, you know, if, if the people people were more historically knowledgeable, they would be calling them Rebecca Feltons. And what I said was that they are hoping to incite white men into mass violence, such as Colfax, Louisiana, 1873, Wilmington, North Carolina, 1898, Elaine, Arkansas, 1919, Ocoe, Florida, 1920, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921. Oh, by the way, uh, today is the 90 is 99 years uh, you know, since the start of the Tulsa uh, massacre on May uh, 31st, 1921, and Rosewood, Florida, 19, 1923. So 
what they are hoping is not just, you know, uh, these isolated incidents where police come and brutalize a brother, or lock somebody up. They are really hoping to incite white men into actions of mass violence like we've like we've seen before. So all of, all of these calls to the police, this, this this stuff is no joke. We need to be preparing ourselves, you know, for what's for what's coming. Uh, I had that, and uh, Jaleel Montequim, Black Panther, Black Liberation Army, warrior, been in prison since he was 19 for going on the offensive and attacking two police officers, he and Herman Bell, in, uh, in New York City. Black Panther political prisoner Jaleel Montequim was granted an early release by a New York judge four weeks ago. This was at the end of April. The New York Department of Corrections and Community Supervision, represented by the Office of New York Attorney General Letitia James, a black woman, black woman representing these people, appealed the early release. On May 25th, Brother Jaleel, age 68, was transported to the hospital suffering from covid 19. Brother Jaleel has been incarcerated since he was 19 for killing two New York police officers. Since 2000, eight former Black Panther Party members have died while incarcerated. 81% of the prisoners who have died from coronavirus complications are people of color. 81%. So they had a hearing on Thursday to see if um, if uh, you know they could get the state. So So a judge said the brother should be released. Right? He has comorbidities, for example. He's has respiratory ailments. He's certainly a candidate for catching COVID-19. The judge said Jaleel should be released. The, uh, the, the law enforcement power structure went into action and they got the black attorney general to represent them. And they wound up keeping the brother in prison long enough for him to catch COVID-19. They might have made sure he got it. They may have mm. they may they may have made sure that he was infected. Uh, you know, during this per- period of time when he really should have been released. So, you know, that's something for us to stay abreast of. What's happening with him and with all of our elderly elderly uh, you know, political prisoners. I think Sundi Ada Akoli is 83 or 84. All of these guys, you know, uh Mumia may be the youngest one is 66. Uh, so, you know, this is something for us to keep our eyes on. The brother, the brother should be out of prison. Instead, he's in the hospital fighting the disease. And I just hope that uh, that, that, that he can survive. Of course, the law enforcement uh, power structure has been pissed off since Herman Bell was released. And they're trying to get him reincarcerated. So these people never stop fighting. They never stop. They never they never stop. You know, we will get bent out of shape, raise a bunch of cane, and then we'll just drop back like, okay, everything's off. Well, they didn't kill nobody today. I mean, come on, man. You know, we gotta gotta do better. That's uh I think that's all I got because I mentioned I mentioned Tulsa. I did want to mention that that uh, today is uh, 99 years 
you know, since the um, the situation that uh, uh, that that happened there, the massacre, the the loss of what was it, fifteen thousand homes, fifteen hundred businesses, you know, estimate estimates of the low ball is three hundred, as many as three thousand people killed, police bombed black people the from the air. They dropped nitroglycerin bombs, dynamite on people uh, in, in, in our community. And, uh, you know, and, and all of this started, all of this started when not because a black man need a white man to death, but because a brother named Dick Rowland supposedly stumbled and accidentally bumped into a white woman on an elevator. He was arrested and charged with assault, molesting a white woman. A crowd of white supremacists were going to break him out of jail and lynch him. And the black men in the uh, Greenwood neighborhood armed themselves and went down because they, they knew law enforcement wasn't going to prevent him from being lynched. And that gave them the opportunity. They said, oh, okay, now, just like they did in Okoye because they wanted all of the orange groves that black people own thousands of acres of orange groves making a lot of money. And they want they, they wanted they wanted to destroy the economy and the community there, and that gave them the opportunity. But from 1619 forward, man, it's been they've had their knees on our on our necks for 401 years, and they ain't, they'll never take them off on their own. We gotta take them off ourselves. Right, Talking about Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. The Gap Band, Uncle Charlie. They dropped, dropped the bomb, bomb on me. They dropped the bomb on me. Yes, right? sir. There was, some symbol, there was some symbolism in that song, which a lot of people probably didn't, didn't, didn't realize. The symbolism, you know, in that, in, in, in that song by, you know, by the Gap Band. But I got to wake up early in the morning. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Once again, I just want our people to keep keep your eyes open and remember that even with these issues that exist inside of America, we have to also be cognizant of everything that's going on around us around the world. Because we are an African family, not only in America, but also in the diaspora and on the continent. And our greatest prize lies on the continent. And we have to take Africa back. If we really want to affect change for these type of situations, we have to regain our power base on the African continent so that we will have the power to influence this government to operate as it should in regards to the rights, the true rights of African people. Yeah, in that context, Brother almost because you talked about it, we we did not mention last week that uh, last May 25th was, you know, African African Liberation Day. And, and we posted, posted a, a brief history of, of how it how it came about. But you know, I, I I I would say that 
in, in, in terms of struggle that's taking place on the African continent, we're probably further away from African liberation now than we were 50 years ago, to be honest with you, because um, the, the neo-colonialists, the neo-colonialists have, have, you know, grabbed control of, of almost every African government on the continent. And, you know, th th this to me is where our struggle is right now. It's against, it's against neocolonialism. Of course, you know, we know that, you know, Kwame Nkrumah organized, you know, the first all African peoples conference, two of them, uh, you know, in Accra. And they, they went on to develop other formations. But as they were developing their formations, the neocolonialists were grabbing the Negroes that had been educated in France and England and the United States and other places. And in Krumas and Secretary Ray were the primary leaders, along with Modibo Kieta and uh, some of the Arabs were involved with them. They, they formed what was called the Casablanca group. The neo-colonials formed the Monrovia group. And Krumas group was pushing for continental unity, Julius Nyeri said it'd be better if we try to start with some regional unity. But the Negroes gathered in Monrovia, Felix Hufwek, Bagne, Tubman, and all of Senghor and all of those guys said uh, Mobutu, the supreme uh, race trader. They said, nah, man, we want to maintain our individual territorial sovereignty as if they ever had any <laughs> and what happened was Haile Selassie met with Nkrumah and said look we got to resolve this and form the organization of African unity so the Nkrumah faction wound up compromising in order to form the OAU and from that point forward the, the, the radical elements on the continent basically, you know, lost, uh, you know, their position. And, 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 and now you're hard pressed to try to find anybody. It's actually walking in the vein of, of Nkrumah, Lumumba, Secretore, uh, and uh, Cabral, and Nayeri. I mean, you know, probably the... the <laughs> I don't know of, a, of a, an example we've had, at, at least in terms of occupying power since since Thomas Sankara. Uh, you know, there's hope for you know the current president of, of Tanzania. Um, but I but think even one the thing, countries that that fought. One thing I'll say that we do have now ahead. that we didn't have as much of back then that I do see is. We may not have the leaders in power with the consciousness for fighting against neocolonialism, but we do have a large mass of Africans waking up that are sick and tired of colonialism, sick and tired of uh, white authority and white re religions and white idolatry on the continent that's growing in mass. And I see it across you know, the internet, especially with a lot of Africans that have uh, YouTube channels and media outlets that are projecting similar messages that we project on our platform. So if we can continue to 
collectively focus our consciousness in that area, eventually we would produce the leadership that would be able to remove these corrupt leaders from office and take Africa in a, in a more dynamic direction. Well, you know, that's, you know, that, that, that's good news. You know, you, you're more aware of those things than I am. You know, what Africa has the youngest population on the continent on, in the world. And if, if, if these young people can be infused with the spirit of, you know, Chris Honey and Bantu Biko and Winnie Mandela and Sankara and Cabral, Lumumba and Krumah and Secretore, Julius Nyeri, then then we can do this. We can do this. And I, you know, so, hey, I'm hopeful. Certainly we're going to keep doing our part. Ashe. And Ashe, and down with Africam. Organization is indeed the weapon of the oppressed. We're reminded of this by Dr. Kwame Toure, AKA Stokely Carmichael. Organization imposes its ideology on the participants. He was always fond of saying, we have a great capacity in the area of mobilization, but as the brother mentioned, organization continues your work. This has been the African Liberation Media. Baby for ODA. Baby for ODA. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.